0: This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Thursday, September 22nd. I'm Julia Caulfield. In today's headlines, Mountain Village looks to purchase Ilium Land for affordable housing. Coroner's office grapples with increasing demand. Telluride welcomes new Director of Public Works and a Mountain Weather Forecast. The town of Mountain Village is in the process of purchasing the Alexander property for affordable housing.
1: A 55-acre parcel located in Ilium, Uh, we are seeking to acquire that property for the purposes of developing affordable housing.
0: That's Mountain Village town manager Paul Weiser speaking at a town council meeting earlier this month. He says the parcel could hold up to 200 deed-restricted housing units.
1: The purchase price is currently $7.5 million, which I understand is not cheap. Um, But uh, we do think that it is an important opportunity for Mountain Village and the uh, region as a whole to have an affordable housing opportunity uh, two and a half miles away from our community.
0: Mountain Village is currently in the diligence period with the property to look at things like water, wastewater, wetlands, traffic, and a master plan for the site. An important step, Wiser notes, given the price tag on the property.
1: That does not even include the infrastructure that's going to have to go into that. And so part of what this diligence period is going to include is understanding what it's going to cost to produce an actual community. And so that's not just homes, that's everything else that's associated with it. And then we're going to have to figure out, does that actually pencil out on a pro forma to make this affordable, deed-restricted employee housing?
0: Construction on the property is still down the road, but Michelle Haynes, Mountain Village Assistant Town Manager, notes they are considering ways to make building on the land as efficient as possible. We are so far envisioning it could be a phased development where there is no need to cross with bridges to develop on the backside, that there's developable land all along the river that's adjacent to the road because we understand this is really a master planning exercise for housing and that we would want to kind of capture the low-hanging fruit, so to speak, and then kind of envision and think through development and make sure it pencils before we put in major infrastructure like bridges. While there are still a number of T's to cross and I's to dot, Council is supportive of moving forward with a contract to purchase. Here's Councilmember Marty Prohaska. I do
2: think that this is a potentially once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, if not, I mean, maybe once-in-a-lifetime of a town council um, that could, you know, materially improve the outlook for many people who live and work not just in Mountain Village, but in the region. And I think, you know, we certainly should, I mean, I think we have the, you know, the guardrails in place to not move forward if it doesn't make sense, but to not look at what we could potentially do here would be a, a, a huge missed opportunity.
0: Mountain Village has until early December to complete its diligence process and decide whether or not to close on the property. When Emil Sante was first elected as San Miguel County coroner, the coroner's office would usually attend to 12 or 13 deaths every year. What's changed the most in the 10 years that he's been in office?
3: Just the volume and the time today. First took this job over 10 years ago. Um, the average in the last 10 years prior was 13 and a half, 14 deaths a year. Only one year since I've taken this job has not been in the teens. Everything else has been in the boys and nerves.
0: As the average number of deaths that Sante and his office have to tend to has gone up by 50% or more, he says the office has begun to feel the strain. In a report to the San Miguel Board of County Commissioners, who oversees the coroner's office, Sante says it's time to plan for changes. But I do anticipate
3: uh, the coroner's office um, probably making some significant changes in the future, uh, expanding just because the volume and some of the headaches that um, have come up over the last few years due to other reasons um, are going to require us to... uh, take care of ourselves a little bit
0: more than we have in the past. Sante went before the Board of County Commissioners in part due to the passage of a new Colorado state law, which specifies that counties should determine whether their coroners work full, three-quarter, or part-time and give them a raise based on their workload. The coroner's salary in San Miguel County is currently around $50,000 a year, and under the new bill could increase to almost $90,000. Speaking to the board, Sante says it's difficult to classify his workload because it's so responsive to changing death rates.
3: Uh, It's really hard to kind of put it in a box uh, of part-time or or even define what full-time is. Um, When your phone goes off at 3 o'clock in the morning, it feels like full-time. And it is a twenty four seven, three hundred and sixty-five day a year type job that doesn't care if it's Christmas or Halloween or anything else, when something bad happens, you put it all down and you go.
0: The Board of County Commissioners offered words of support for Sante, but was wary of offering more resources to the coroner's office, pointing out that Sante also has multiple deputies. Commissioner Hillary Cooper says many offices across the county government are asking for more support. And and we are getting, you know, the
3: potential for SAR requests. We've got potential for public safety uh, requests, uh, you know, additional funds for the sheriff's office. So um, I, there's... There's kind of a lot of those requests coming in and, you know, it, I, I guess we just need this. I personally need to see that justification for budget because we're being hit with a lot of increasing, you increasing know, yeah. requests
0: right now. Cooper asked Sante to come back to the board with statistics about the changing nature of his work and justifications for the budget increase as the county tries to fund all of its offices and meet the needs of county residents. Telluride has a new resident, and not only is Kyle Beck new to town, he's also the new director of Telluride's Department of Public Works. Beck began the job earlier this summer, and with construction season in full swing, he hit the ground running on upgrading roads and water systems across town, Recently, Beck found time to sit down with KOTO's Gavin McGoff and discuss his move, what's next for public works, and how we got a start back in Denver.
4: worked for the city for about seven years while I was going to school full-time at a CU in Denver. And uh, after seven years, I graduated and I left uh, the city to pursue my career in mining and uh, oil and gas. Got sick of that and then joined the city of Lakewood, um, again, as their infrastructure operations maintenance engineer. Then, uh, yeah, then I showed up here for the Town of Telluride. What does public works entail? Great question. So public works for the Town of Telluride, that is all your assets um, within the town's right away. So that's the wastewater treatment plant, the water treatment plants, the tanks, the collections system, the distributions, streets, sidewalks.
2: How does that relate to mining and your private industry background?
4: Yeah, definitely uh, infrastructure. I actually specialized in um, water wastewater, and uh, I did some unique designs for like Grand uh, Grand Lake, and then I also did some work like in Yosemite National Park, and it was all pipeline design and and treatment.
2: And what do you like about projects like that? Is it sort of the puzzle of it, or?
4: Yes, um, uh, keeps me going every night. I sit there and think of how I can do something better or uh, what I can do to actually. Um, you know, maintain it, and it's just that change of pace, that change of opportunity. It's not the same thing every day. Um, as th- everyone's aware of, I hope uh, the aging infrastructure is definitely a challenge. And being in a small town and having those challenges, um, it really intrigues me. And so I'm looking forward to improving some of this infrastructure. It is definitely going to be a challenge as you've got some very old infra- infrastructure here in Telluride. But uh, I'm looking forward to doing what I can to not only help out the town, but it's going to benefit the town as well as me and my family being here. So I've never had that opportunity to put all my efforts into something that my family will also benefit from. You're talking about challenges. What do you have your eye on right away? You know, we I've uh, looked at some records and we've got some pipes that seem to be 100 plus years, um, which is well beyond its life expectancy. So definitely got my eye on that. Marty um, started on. Uh, the upgrades for the wastewater treatment plant, the design portion of it. Currently working on uh, the high-pressure line, as some people probably have seen some construction going on uh, near the high school. And then, obviously, snow and ice operations, which is another one.
2: And um, how does your work kind of shift seasonally?
4: So, uh, the Public Works, uh, they'll, they manage the, the streets, sidewalks, uh, repairs during the summer, and then the winter that whole operation gets changed over to snow and ice control. Yeah. We have long days, long hours, um, extreme as you can imagine with all the, the vehicles and everything in the way and how skilled you have to be to be able to fit a very large piece of equipment in between, very little right away. Are you a skier at all? I So I, I'm a snowboarder, but I'm not great because my whole life I've been responsible for snow and ice control. So if it's snowing, I was at work. Yeah. A
2: powder day means a different sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Yes.
4: (laughs) Yep. I've got to, I've got to change my mode to not liking snow because it required me to be in for 12, 14 hour days to understanding now I, I should have a little more room to play.
2: How do you think about sustainability in terms of, um, environment and water?
4: Yeah. Yeah. Great question. Um, one of the things I love getting into is just learning the new technologies to see how we can improve on sustainability. Um, Right now, I'm actually working um, with a company out of uh, it, they're out of Denver to help with the EV transitional plan to see what we can do and the opportunities to go to more electric vehicles. And then, you know, just really updating the facilities is going to be key um, to really become efficient with, you know, just our, our power usage and just how we we treat um, wastewater and water.
2: Uh, is there anything else you want to share about um, your work right now or coming to Telluride or?
4: Yeah, no, just uh, if you're out and you see us, feel free to you know ask the questions. Come talk to me. I'm more than happy. I love talking with people. Yeah, anyone has any questions, feel free to just reach out.
0: That was Telluride's new director of public works, Kyle Beck. Philadelphia isn't the only spot with a Liberty Bell. This weekend, the Telluride Historical Museum will showcase the history of the Liberty Bell Mine with its hike into history. Participants will learn about the historic mining operations, explore the site of the Stillwell Tunnel, and more. The hike is expected to take approximately four hours and is a strenuous climb. The museum encourages participants to bring water, snacks, lunch, and rain and sun protection. The hike departs from the Telluride Historical Museum on Saturday, September 24th at 9 a.m. More information is available at telluridemuseum.org. Pioneer Day is here! Norwood's 86th annual celebration of heritage and community will take place this weekend. Celebrations will start with a coronation of the Pioneer Day Queen on Main Street, followed by a Pioneer Day parade. There will also be a chuckwagon meal at the Norwood School and street games for families and kids. Closing out the night will be a performance from singer-songwriter B. Forrest at the livery at 6 p.m., Pioneer Day celebrations will take place on Saturday, September 24th, starting at 1030 a.m. in Norwood. State officials have found an invasive zebra mussel in Colorado for the first time ever. Colorado Parks and Wildlife found the mussel in a PVC pipe in Highline Lake just west of Grand Junction. CPW says this should be a reminder of why boaters in Colorado need to drain and dry their boats and pass inspections before entering the state's waters. Zebra mussels can quickly overwhelm a lake and disrupt the food chain. Other nearby states have seen lakes overrun with invaders. CPW says prevention efforts are essential to keep that from happening here. A bow hunter stumbled upon remains outside of Redstone earlier this month that could belong to a Carbondale man who went missing more than a decade ago. For Rocky Mountain Community Radio, KDNK's Morgan Neely has more.
1: Pitkin County Sheriff's deputies have recovered the remains, which the hunter found in rugged terrain in the East Creek drainage above Redstone. Contractor and family man William Worley went missing on the last day of July in 2010. He was seen hiking the East Creek Trail that day, and authorities discovered his vehicle on the Jeep road near the trailhead a few days later. A massive search ensued, but no trace of Worley has ever been found. The remains are now in the hands of a forensic anthropologist, and county deputies and the coroner's office are continuing their own investigations. For KDNK News, I'm Morgan Neely.
0: Few things are more valuable to a farmer in the West than water. And when there's not enough to go around, figuring out whose use matters the most can lead to heated arguments. In rural Nevada, a shrinking aquifer forced one ranching community to grapple with water scarcity in a real way. The Mountain West News Bureau's Kayla Bradle has more on what they decided to do.
2: It's a hot summer morning in Diamond Valley, Nevada. And hay farmer Marty Plaskett is standing next to an irrigation pivot, a large rotating sprinkler system that's watering his green alfalfa field.
4: This water here is spraying mainly in the crop canopy, so it's, it's spraying directly to the ground.
2: These low elevation sprinklers reduce his water use and waste. For years, Plaskett used elevated sprinklers that sprayed more plants at once, Sometimes colorful rainbows would show up in the mist, a sight Plaskett used to enjoy. He can't anymore.
4: Now it makes me sick to my stomach because any, any water that's leaving by evaporation, it's going up in the air. So I
2: mean, it's, it's the worst thing to see water drifting anymore. To Plaskett, any water that's evaporated is wasted. And this valley can't afford to waste any water. For decades, state officials let farmers overpump the aquifer in Diamond Valley. It's caused groundwater levels to drop by an average of two feet every year. And without water... Your land value is zero. You have no livelihood. See you later. So that wasn't an option for us. Faced with that threat, farmers got together in an attempt to shoulder the burden together. They were able to do that because the state declared Diamond Valley a critical management area. Nevada's only basin with that designation. They had 10 years to put together a groundwater management plan. If they didn't succeed, the state could turn off at least half of the farmers' wells. The oldest rights would be protected. The newer ones were vulnerable. Jake Tibbets oversees the county's Natural Resources Department. He says doing nothing wasn't an option we're taking water out um, much quicker than it's being replenished by Mother Nature. So that becomes the big issue here is it's it's something that we can't continue on that path forever. So Tibbets helped develop a plan that was approved by most of the Valley's water users and later greenlit by the state. It required all irrigators to reduce their use, spreading cuts over time. That's a drastic change from how most water law functions in the West says Philip Womble with the Woods Institute for the Environment at Stanford University.
1: This is the only place where a groundwater system that is only implementing that priority-based water rights system has transitioned to a different allocation scheme that shares shortage.
2: But not everyone is in favor of sharing shortages, especially those farmers with senior rights. They sued to keep the groundwater plan from moving forward. One plaintiff was Sadler Ranch, a cattle operation with some of the oldest water rights in the region. Ranch manager Levi Shoda says those rights shouldn't be messed with. He's not against a groundwater management system, but he sees the approved plan as a loss, not only in the value of the ranch, but also in the way of doing things.
4: We see water rights as a private property right. And when you start taking private property rights and giving them to some, like, reallocating them to somebody else, I think you're crossing a line.
2: Despite legal challenges from Sadler Ranch and two others, the Nevada Supreme Court upheld the contested plan in a 4-3 ruling this June. The ranch's request for a rehearing was denied late this summer. Without any more legal barriers, the new plan is on track to be implemented next irrigation season, starting in the spring of next year. Back on the hay farm, Plaskett says he knows there's no guarantee that this plan will work. But they had to try something to protect their futures, even if it means everyone is getting less water.
4: It's just the need to have the long-term vision. I mean, it's not about me. It's about our kids or whoever comes next.
2: He adds that this plan is unique and might not apply in other regions of the West dealing with water issues. In other words, the ripple effects coming from Diamond Valley may be small at least for now. For the Mountain West News Bureau, I'm Caleb Bradle.
0: The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for partly cloudy skies tonight with a 20% chance of showers and thunderstorms. The high is around 40 degrees. Friday should be sunny with a high around 60 degrees. Friday night expect mostly clear skies with a low around 40. Sunday should be sunny during the day and clear at night with a high in the mid-60s and a low around 40 degrees. This has been the news for Thursday, September 22nd. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 970-728-3206.